Are you a superstitious rider to what, what you eat <laughs> um, before a race? No, you know, that, that's being, having to travel so much and being on the track and not always having a refrigerator and stuff. And, you know, I don't drink coffee. And I know all the teammates, my teammates, if there's no coffee or if it's really shit coffee, they like complain and they can't, you know, they have a bad day. And I think that's one thing that I've really learned to, you know, get over is, you know, I used to have superstitions with my sports bras. I used to have superstitions with my socks, but it's like, you know, who gives a shit? Like you're still going to perform. You're still going to do what you're going to do, you know, and same with the breakfast. If I don't have my oats, like I got to find something else and I got to, you know, suck it up and, and deal with it. We touch base with Nicola Cranmer, owner of Team 2020, and Chloe Dykart, women's world TT champ, to chat racing bikes in the new normal and what makes the fastest woman on earth tick. This week on Put Your Socks On. Hello and welcome to another episode of Put Your Socks On. My name is Angus Morton and as always, I am joined by co-host Bobby J. How you doing, mate? Doing well. I wish I had something different to say every time you ask me that question, but it just feels like it's Groundhog Day. Sure does, mate. I feel like, well, I keep saying this, but I'm just losing my mind more and more. And, you know, as the world sort of opens up, I'm hoping that, you know, things will sort of balance a little bit and there'll be a little bit more to talk about. But there was quite a bit going on this week in the cycling world, it seems, as, uh, you know, the world opens up and races start to get scheduled in bits and pieces. There was sort of a bit of, a bit of, bit of uh, action going on. Tell me what was happening. Yeah, the, the big news this week, which I think caught everybody on the back foot, was the possibility of Chris Froome changing teams mid-season. Mm. You know, to me, that's super curious to me because Chris is um, obviously coming back from a severe injury. He's been supported by that same team, that same management for upwards of 10 years now. But he is coming up to end of contract, and y- you never know what negotiation tactics come into play here. But for him to change teams, and I've, I've kind of heard through the grapevine that there's two or three teams, maybe NTT, Israel Startup Nation, and perhaps even UAE Emirates are, are in the running. But man, that, that's so much change to deal with on top of what he's already dealt with. I would be surprised if he went anywhere. But man, when you're stacked with four guys that could potentially win the tour this year, I can't blame him for looking on, you know, to see where, where he could go and, and end his career. Because obviously he's not going to be racing forever, but he has said that he wants to win more Tour de France's than anyone. And right now he has four. If he wants to do that, he's going to have to win two more. So what team is that going to be on? What what, what do you think about Honestly, that? Honestly, mate, this caught me by total surprise. If there was anyone that I wasn't thinking about moving teams, it was him, right? And so, yeah, so this is sort of um, a huge surprise. Where he's going to go, like where he would fit, it's sort of hard to, to to wrap your head around. I mean, it would be really interesting to see him go to NTT and and work with Bjorn because, you know, obviously um, we spoke with him with with Bjorn last week and, week and and he's sort of making some big changes there, um, and is obviously a pretty interesting and, and dynamic team manager. So it would be interesting to see Froome there, I guess. But honestly, like you know, like I can't really picture him anywhere else. But certainly a very very big news if it, if it's real and if it, if if it's sort of happening. Um, huge news coming out this week, and uh, I'll be very interested to see how that plays out in the future. Yeah, we also had 
mountain bike racer Keegan Swenson set the Everstein record at altitude. And we've mentioned this before on the show. Everstein is basically going up the same exact climb multiple times to equal the altitude of Everest. And I've been seeing people do these in 10, 11, 12 plus hours. And he did it under nine. I think 840, something like that, or 740. 740 I, think. I think it was 740, yeah. That, to me, is impressive. And knowing that he did it at altitude as well, and I'm sure he, yeah, he, he lives there. He's fully acclimated to altitude. But, man, a lot of people are coming up with these certain goals, charity events, fundraising things, and Everstein seems to be a thing now. I mean, my question to you, Gus, is when are you going to try oh, this? Oh, man, there's absolutely no way. Uh, I'm going to be doing that anytime soon. <laughs> my my little brother, uh, Lachlan, just did. He 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 made up his own challenge called K2ing, right? K2 being the second largest, uh, second tallest mountain in the world, and the uh, the guidelines for K2ing are that you can't repeat any one climb twice, and so you have Ooh. to do it on on each on unique. Uh, each each meter has to be on a on a unique climb, um, and he did that the other day, and that was like 12 or 11 or I don't know it was sickening how long it took and um and where he sort of had to go around around Boulder Colorado so that one's kind of got me my interest peaked he he also stipulates in the rules that you can do it on foot on bike on skis whatever you want so I'd be I'd be down to do it half bike half ski maybe uh you know maybe when the snow starts falling again at the end of the year um but right now there's oh I couldn't even think of <laughs> the, the thought of doing an Everesting right now makes me nauseous Yeah. And yeah, with the race program coming out, obviously teams are getting back together. We saw some guys that were in Denmark fly back to their home base in in Monaco or their training base in Monaco. So they're starting to talk about training camps, riding together. And it was pretty interesting that the UCI came out with the COVID-19 provisionary guidelines for outdoor training and training camps. Is this going to be the new normal? Are you are you ever going to be able to do team time trial training again or ride, you know, everyone together? I know that in a lot of these training camps they are split up into smaller groups because otherwise you'd just have a 25 to 30 man peloton rolling down the road which mm. is uh, quite boring for those guys at the back. But yeah, there's a, a lot of what ifs out there and I think this is just going to be kind of learn as we go. Yeah, I think you're right and you know, that, that document is sort of pretty interesting in that, uh, you know, like it highlighted the unknown physical implications of the virus on heart, lungs and other organs. And then to your point, right, racing and training in groups, when we're going to be able to do that with assurance that nothing, you know, will, will happen of that, like, and how that's going to, to go is, is anybody's guess. But good to see that the UCI are, you know, putting out a, um, putting out some provisions and guidelines that at least give, you know, everyone from World Tour pros, just down to everyday Joe Blow, kind of a bit of a, an outline on how to be responsible when training on the road. Yeah, and that's just training on a road. What about racing exactly. on the road? You know, I mean, wow, there's there's a lot to think of here. And like Bjorna said, there you could stay at home for the next three years, but is that going to keep you any safe? Safer than if you, you know, went out and got exposed to this virus. So let's move on because that is definitely a rabbit hole we don't really want to go down. Exactly it? right. And on that first bike race uh, in Vietnam, known as the HTV Cup, uh, is about to kick off this week. So racing post-COVID-19 is about to kick off and uh, hopefully every everyone stays safe and healthy and um, we're able to have more racing. Yeah. And one other highlight that 
kind of popped up on the hot sheets today was Anna Vanderbregen announced that she's going to retire at the end of 2021, mm-hmm. not from the sport, but she's going to jump directly into the sports director's car. So that's that's quite interesting. She is uh, pretty much won everything that there is to win and now looking for a different challenge. And let me tell you, life on the other side of the barriers is is not as easy as it looks. Those people in the car, those men and women in the car that have to deal with all the logistics and the coaching and the and the driving, and uh, it it is a very difficult profession. So, be interesting to see how she transitions into right. that. I mean, yeah, if if she's anywhere half as good as she is on the bike, I think she'll uh, certainly guide some some ladies to some big victories there. Let's get on to today's show. In 2019, Chloe Digart won the World Time Trial Title Championship by the largest margin in the history of the event. It was a crowning moment on an already prodigious young career. With the Olympics on the horizon in 2020, Chloe didn't waste any time getting to work, winning gold in the World Individual Pursuit title in world record time, as well as the Team Pursuit title in world record time. It looked as if nothing short of a cancellation could stop Chloe going on to take gold at the Tokyo Games. Unfortunately, as everyone who hasn't been living under a rock for the past several months knows, that's precisely what happened. So today... We thought we'd sit down with Chloe and Nicola Cranmer, the owner and founder of Chloe's longtime team, Team 2020, to just catch up and shoot the breeze about riding bikes and where to next. G'day, Chloe and Nicola. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I must admit, Nicola, it does feel a little bit funny speaking, (laughs) like (laughs) interviewing and chatting with you in this way after we, you know, speak speak so informally so often. Um, Just... Before we kick off, whereabouts are both of you right now? Uh, I'm in Boise, Idaho. I'm in Boise as well. <laughs> <laughs> You're a wall away from each other. Yes, yes. She, I can probably hear if I went to the wall. So, um, Nicola, I must admit, things have been pretty crazy and, and in the last sort of, obviously, the last, well, six months for you, but and, and chatting with you over the, the last few weeks and months, you seem remarkably calm for someone who has been through everything with the team, you know, this virus situation, like how on earth are you holding things down at the moment? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, it is definitely emotional management and I've been doing this for 16 years and what I realize, of course, and it's what your parents always tell you and your friends say, don't, don't sweat the small stuff. Don't stress about it. If, if I come across something that I'm challenged by, as long as I am, putting some motion to it and some activation and forward movement to it, it tends to stress me less. So as long as I'm, I'm trying to find a solution every day, then I'm okay. But I mean, it's, it, it has been stressful. Um, but I also look at the positives right now. And as you know, we lost our title sponsor um, just before Christmas. Mm-hmm. And so I was faced with those challenges and this has actually given me uh, more time than I thought I had. So it's, it's interesting. I mean, we've just sort of extended um, that deadline of looking for a title sponsorship and uh, it's, it's worked in my favor in, in many ways. And I'll, I want to touch on, on that situation a little bit later, but over the last, you know, sort of couple of months, Bobby and I have been speaking to a lot of men's world tour team athletes managers etc i just want to get a bit of a picture for how this like lockdown you just sort of said everything's on pause how does this affect 
how is this affecting your team? Like a women's US sort of predominant program, one that ran over both track and the road. Um, yeah, how, how have you been impacted, I guess, directly? Well, personally, I'm busier than ever, which is it's pretty surprising, but it's giving me an opportunity to catch up on a lot of things that got put on the back burner when the regular race season just gets going. And that would include, you know, just sort of taking an inventory literally of um, products that we have and, and uh, just doing a lot of organizing at the service courses. But also one of the things that we did, I think, which was important is You know, when an athlete wakes up every day, often the first thing they do is look at their training peaks, like what's in store for me today? What is my training? We did a little pivot there and really sort of uh, deploying our athletes on social media. So we are making sure that we're representing our partners who, you know, are sticking with us through this, representing them well and activating. And so we've set out a social media schedule for our athletes that they can look at daily and go, okay, what's in store for me today? You know, some of them are still riding training. Some are just out riding for fun, but I think, you know, we pivoted really nicely into that and it's a, it's a learning experience for them as well. Cause not all athletes are comfortable with doing social media activation. So it's, it's been like a little bit of an academy. Yeah, but you've been fantastic at that. There's no doubt about it. How's that? How's the engagement been with that? It's been really good. And, you know, we were super proactive in the beginning. As soon as we understood that we were losing races, we reached out to our partners and a lot of them weren't ready for us yet. I mean, we said, you know, this is our plan. This is what we need from you. We don't want to just wing this. We want to set out a strategy moving forward. We don't know how long this is going to last, but what is it we can do to support you? So, you know, I think that we did take that proactive approach and it's paid off really well. A lot of our partners have responded and just said, you know, thank you so much. We still need content and we still need to um, push our brands out there, but we don't have that traditional racing content to share. So yeah, the, the athletes, you know, I'm so appreciative and they've been very proactive and some of our partners have said, I don't know what some of these people have been doing because they're not promoting our brand still. It's just because racing mm. stopped. It doesn't mean, you know, we, we stop. And have you been able to get any, like a similar level, similar, excuse me, um, level of exposure for your, for your brands? Have you been able to get that same fan engagement that you, t- you know, that you're, that you're typically seeing through, you know, the bike racing and, and that, that sort of stuff or, or is it markedly different? It's markedly different in a positive way. Um, It's increased tremendously. Um, What typically happens is when you're sharing racing photos, um, it's hard for a fan to connect with an athlete that's wearing giant glasses and a helmet. Um, You know, there's no sort of, you're not seeing the eyes, you're not just connecting in that same way. So we've been promoting um, a lot of different social media stories on, you know, how, how did someone get into cycling, sharing early, early photos of the, the first bike ride and things like that. And people are really reacting in a positive way. It's not just a generic race photo. So it's really pushed us into uh, looking at different ways to, to share the athlete stories. And when things do go back to whatever normal will be, 
are you going to change the way you do things now? Like having learnt, like and having had this experience, right, with the way that you're getting, you're essentially having character engagement, right? The the athletes is, you know, you're getting to know them um, on a personal level. Is that going to influence how you go about running in the team and sort of promoting and engaging with fans going forward? Well, it's my hope that we don't go back to the normal because the normal wasn't very good. You know, what's what's happening now is a is a perfect opportunity to to recreate what that normal might be, what it might look like. Uh, we'll continue to do this the same sort of more personal social media posts for sure. But I think, you know, cycling is going through a big purging right now. It's, you know, long-term employees at different endemic companies are being let go. It's, it's sort of like this big purging is happening. And I'm hoping that everyone looks at this as a good opportunity to just look back and go, it didn't really work that well um, in general, just sort of the North American racing scene um, in particular. So how can we change it? And and what can we do to make it better? We got another question a little bit later for that because we definitely want to get into that a little bit more. But with hindsight being 2020, all pun intended, what were some of the, the peaks and the valleys of this last 16 years? I mean, you've seen a lot going on and now we're dealing with this. What what are some of those things that have just you've had to deal with, both highs and lows? I feel like we're in a very similar place to what we were when, when I first started. I mean, there's been some incremental changes uh, in women's cycling over the years, but nothing of like massive magnitude that's really been a game changer for the sport of women's cycling. You know, we, we're going through the same sponsorship challenges, the ups and downs, the, the volatility of it for, for women's cycling. I think we're struggling still with uh, less tangible return on investment in women's cycling because we don't get the media impressions that the men's cycling typically does, the Grand Tours, for example. Uh, Zwift is actually changing that a lot. Um, there was a recent broadcast on Eurosport and the numbers, the viewership numbers were really high for that. And it was really the first time that you know, they they uh, they interviewed the managers and a lot of the riders, and um, this was you know the virtual racing platform that was now broadcast on on TV worldwide. And I had people in Europe screenshotting pictures of me that I was on, just on a Zoom call, and you know, here this is awesome. We're, you're, we're hearing about your team. We're learning about your team. So there's new opportunities out there like that. Getting on to Zwift, you guys have were a very early adapter to the Zwift platform, both keeping your girls motivated and giving them something to do, as well as keeping a what turns out to be a basically a social media presence there. With everyone jumping on Zwift nowadays, what was it a few years ago that really attracted you to that before all the masses have basically jumped on the bandwagon? What what did you see personally that it could bring to your team and your riders that made you say, yep, we're going to commit 100% to this? What I realized um, very early on was that it's just the gender equality that Zwift promotes um, as a new business, as a new platform. Uh, there was an opportunity to showcase women's cycling 
just as equally as men's cycling gets showcased on this particular platform. So that was one of the things that attracted me early on. Uh, also, a couple of our athletes have been, had been on Swift for a couple of years, and um, Kristen Armstrong, you know, dear friend and consultant of the team and coach of several of our athletes, she was on Swift as well. And you know, we talked about it a lot and recognized the advantages of just training on Zwift and doing focused workouts on Zwift, that it could actually um, help our athletes in real life racing as well. And Chloe's a perfect example of that. She did some key workouts on Zwift leading up to the UCI World Championships, uh, which she smoked the time trial, of course. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it seemed obvious to me, but not to, not to others. Nicola, outside of the Zwift racing and the group rides that you're doing, how else are the girls staying motivated during this holding pattern that we're in right now? Uh, the athletes are staying motivated, I think, but, you know, a lot of them have other things going on as like school. Um, so they're doing online classes. Um, others are just digging deep into social media activation. We're encouraging them to take this time to work on personal website, work on personal branding, um, really just get all their ducks in a row uh, moving forward, especially for the five Olympic athletes that are on the team is, you know, you've got some extra time now if Tokyo hopefully happens in 2021 to, to take care of a lot of business and to really get things um, dialed in moving into Tokyo. And what do you think about the proposed 2020 UCI women's calendar that was recently released? I know that a lot of that is kind of world tour. Has there been a national calendar released that is more pertinent to, to you guys, you girls? Yeah, I mean, we at least every two weeks are, are on calls with USA Cycling just to look at the schedule, talk to the race promoters and see you know what they have in mind. I don't share dates with my athletes at this point because it's a moving target and every two weeks the dates change. Um, you know, more things get canceled or postponed. So to me, it's, it's a little bit unclear and it's really hard to say. I mean, personally, you know, part of me wishes that they would just say, okay, no racing this year. And then we can move forward instead of being in this holding pattern of, what are the athletes training for? When do we start thinking about logistics of getting athletes and equipment to races? Um, and then if the calendar does happen, it's going to be awfully crammed in, you know, and some of the, some of the events that we've attended in the past are thinking, okay, we'll just run a criterium instead. A lot of decision-making. I think it's going to be another month or so before we really understand what a schedule might look like. In my opinion, they should just create a whole time trial series because that's you get your social distancing you're not in a peloton um we need more time trials in north america and that would be you know a great solution in my opinion but that's me chloe i'm just going to jump to you right now <laughs> would you agree with that uh, a time trial only calendar for for 2020 i would not be um opposed at all <laughs> let me tell you yeah, I guess, you know, a big thing for that for me would be is uh, I feel like I'm always getting injured and it's always a worry for me doing road races because, I mean, obviously anything can happen. So just having time trials really make me happy, especially with Tokyo next year. So <laughs> Right. And Nicola, um, 
before we get on to 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 um to talking with you, Chloe, about next year and, and that sort of stuff, I want to know how do you what do you look for in an athlete? How do you find someone like a Chloe? How are you are you always looking at results? Are you going to races? Is it personality? What 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 are you looking for? Or how do you find these people? Yeah, largely it's personality. Uh, Chloe, for example, when I saw her at Junior Nationals, uh, when I first saw her, she didn't she didn't win the race she was in. Um, but her, you know her her approach to not winning, i.e., losing, was was so strong <laughs> that you know I love to see that quality in somebody. Um, if if someone hates losing, that's that's a good thing. And if someone is okay with saying, I like to win and I'm going to win, that's a good quality also. Um, a lot of athletes shy away from showing that confidence. And Chloe never did. Um, a, an example of that, which we may have talked about before, was when we were at a junior nationals time trial with her. Um, and it was her, her first time trial at junior nationals before the race, she looked at me and said, I want to win junior world championships. And we weren't even done with nationals yet. And I like to see that confidence in someone. And, you know, I don't doubt her for a second when, um, when she says that she wants to win something. Um, and I, I love that in, in an athlete. I also love when they just keep bugging me. Um, that kind of determination and tenacity of somebody that just keeps like, Hey, I want to be on your team. Hey, I want to be on your team. Initially it's really annoying, but if they just keep that persistence up to me also that says, okay, they want this so badly. I'll give them a shot. So that's another good quality. Chloe, besides your training, what else are you doing these days to stay sane? Um, any new hobbies, any hidden talents that you've discovered? Yeah, you know, I, I, a few people asked me the question. I feel like I live like this in like normal everyday life anyways. <laughs> so nothing's really changed much. I guess, you know, I just moved to Boise here in November, December time, and I was gone for a couple months. So kind of reorganizing and cleaning the house a bit, the apartment, uh, making things kind of my own. And uh, yeah, I mean new hobbies i guess um no nothing i like <laughs> no n- nothing new <laughs> just doing the same old stuff it's funny you should say that like i i feel when people say you know that means like oh my whole life's changed and i'm like to be honest it's not that different and i'm not really sure what that says about me <laughs> i'm like yeah so anyway um i want to know though um i'm curious uh chloe like Cycling's not a major sport, right, in the US. How did you get into it? How did you sort of fall into this this sort of pretty wacky sport, I guess? Yeah, so my dad and his brother, so my uncle, my uncle actually works for uh, Zip and Stram right now in Indianapolis. He, you know, is an engineer, does wheel stuff for them. Him and my dad, growing up, they always rode bikes, mountain bikes, everything, BMX, all that. So it was kind of, you know, very normal for my brother and I growing up. Like, uh, you know, I... I don't even remember the first time I rode with training wheels because like, it's just such a, it was such a normal thing growing up that like, you know, riding bikes was just what you did. You know, we had a, a little BMX track growing up in our yard and then it uh, gradually turned into a mile long mountain bike trail. So, but yeah, I really had no interest in riding bikes. I didn't care. I hated it actually. <laughs> um, 
you know, my dad kept getting me bikes for Christmas and my birthday. Just so stupid because I kept getting gypped on presents. You know, my brother would get like eight things. I'd get like one thing and then a bike. Stupid. <laughs> so I was never really happy about it. But yeah, you know, I, I'm very injury prone. Ever since I was, I'd say, 10 or 12, I had knee injuries, foot injuries, stress fractures, broken bones, surgeries, just really anything you can think of, which is not good. Um, but yeah, so cycling was kind of my getaway that my dad kind of got me into, you know, I remember riding with him and stuff and to, to really get me involved, he had to bribe me, bribed me with going to a race. If I, if I went to the race, I could use my brother's zip wheels. And if I won the race, I got a pair of Oakley's. So of course I had to win and I had to go. So, um, yeah, I just, uh, kind of stuck with it from there. Um, it was, it was, uh, really the only sport at the time I could do that didn't, cause more injuries for me and so yeah I stuck with it you know and then I played one more year of basketball tore my ACL and then got back on the bike again uh, again you know through my dad if it really wasn't for my dad I would I would 100% not be here he you know he's really the reason I'm a cyclist today and you know if I'm having a bad day or something on the bike I just think about him and his support and you know even for my mom too but um, you know my dad's really the reason I'm where I am today. Well, we thank your father for being such a good influence because um, love having you in the sport and, you know, at a, such a young age, you've already achieved a lot in the sport of cycling. What innate traits do you feel that you have that has allowed you to become so successful? It has to be something more than getting a free pair of Oakleys or being able to use a, a, a pair of zip wheels. What, what is that that makes you different in your eyes? I mean, it's definitely a work ethic. It's, uh, you know, talent, but, you know, talent only gets you so far. I think, um, you know, growing up, my, my parents were split. And um, so, I, you know, I saw both, they're both entrepreneurs. They both, you know, have their own business and seeing how hard they work and what they had to do for my brother and I and the things my dad would go through and do and things my mom would go through and do. And I had to work for my dad. I remember cutting grass, being a little kid, cutting grass. He owns a lawn care business, cutting grass. I would do his accounting stuff on the computer. Um, even going to school, I was never a good student. Never. I mean, barely got by, but you know, I still went, I showed up every day that I most every day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, it's almost like if I, if I don't do something a hundred percent or if I, if I, if I don't, I get so guilty. It's like, I have, you know, if, if Kristen gives me a training day, if it's three hours, like I will do three hours, like on the dot, or I will go over, you know, like if I do under, I get, I feel guilty. I just, you know, it, it's um, something that obviously I've worked up to, but you know, my whole life, I think that's something I've learned from my parents is uh, just, you know, having a work ethic, you can be as talented, you know, as you want, but you have to work at it. And um, that's just one of the many things that, goes into being an elite athlete it's it's um very small but it's one of the big things you you your parents um obviously had like a very incredible impact on you and you've also worked under some amazing coaches like jim miller kristen armstrong i'm wondering like where else do you finding um inspiration and influence both on the bike and off the bike i think i'm really influenced by people's comments not that i care but I'm definitely the kind of person that if you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it better than you would ever think. And I, I think that also, you know, I, I, I have a, a friend that I've talked to and she's always, she's always said like, Oh, 
you know, I don't have role models. I, I don't, I don't look up to people because, you know, that's just, it's stupid, it, you know, and I always, I, it made me think about it and, you know, I don't, I have role models. Yes. But I don't look at them and say, I want to be like them. I look at them and say, you are a benchmark to what I want to be. I'm going to surpass you. I'm going to be better than you. Like I don't, I have those people in my life so I can get better and be better. You know, I don't, I, I don't know. I just, I have, that's just kind of the mentality that I've always had is, you know, I, I, I want to be the best at anything and everything I do. And yeah, I just, I guess I thrive off of pain. I thrive off of other people's doubt, you know, and I think that's also a huge benefactor into who I am today. Well, this is a, a special question, um, being a time trial specialist myself, but obviously you're a specialist in solo efforts like the time trial, the pursuit, even most of the road races you're in, it seems like you're you're off the front solo. So I'm interested to hear what that inner voice is telling you when you're performing. And if you do hear a voice, is it your voice or is it someone else's voice or is it a mix? Very curious to hear if you even hear that voice. Yeah, that's a good question. I I think I remember last year at Colorado Classic, um, that was really Colorado Classic and World Championships were the first races that I feel like I've ever done where I've been where I should be. And all the races I've done prior, not taking away because I know I've won them and stuff, but you know, I, I definitely was not a hundred percent at any of the other races that I've been to. I remember the first day at Colorado classic thinking, Oh, I'm going to get dropped. There's no, way I'm going to make it over that climb. There's just no way, you know? And then I was able to win all four stages. I was able to, you know, go make it up the hill climb and, and still, you know, be able to go. And so I think one of the hardest things and, but also good things is I don't know. Nobody knows what else you know, I have, like, I still, we, you know, to this day, I, I don't know how I was able to pull off Colorado. I, I really, I really don't, you know, and I think that's what's so fun about this is the, the things that go on in my head telling what I, what I say to myself is just, like I said, I thrive off of people's pain. I remember, I remember climbing that day, the first day at Colorado. And I, I remember looking over at Katie Hall and seeing her just struggling. And I'm like, I'm nose breathing right now, you know, and it just, it, it really is amazing the, the strength that you can put in your mind, the men, the mentality that you have. And, and, you know, even, even at world championships, I remember during, during the time trial thinking every kilometer that Anna Van der Breggen and Van Vluten were going one to two seconds faster than what I was doing. So telling myself, oh, I need to go a little harder. I need to go a little harder. I need to go a little harder. And just, I mean, it's, it's hard to really explain what goes on in your head. You know, it, you can't, you can't really tell someone, you know, you can tell someone all you want to go as hard as you can and break that barrier and, and, and go hard, but you either have it or you don't. I, I don't, this, it's not, it's not taught. It's just, it's a talent that you've been given. It's something that you don't learn. You just, adapt to and you have and I, I mean I, I really can't explain it's one of those things when you're trying to explain something to someone and if they don't get it the first time it's like well okay that's not my problem you know that's your problem and I think that's just <laughs> that's kind of how my mentality is it's, it's hard for me to explain something to someone that doesn't have the same mindset as I do tell me you just you've had some pretty remarkable 
victories, races. What is like? What is your favorite? Is there a favorite for you, victory? I'd say I'm the most pleased with the time trial world championships. Um, but I honestly can't say that I'm happy with any of my wins. Um, I, I know that sounds bad, but like there, every race I've ever done that I've won, I know there's something that I could have done better in, you know, especially world championships. Um, you know, yes, I won and I won by a minute, whatever seconds I won by, but you know, I was, um, what 11th or 12th or something in the U23 boys. And I look at that and I'm like really upset about it. Like, why couldn't I have broken <laughs> top 10? Why couldn't I have been better? You know, and I've, I've, I remember race riding and looking at the lines that I took and then I watched a few clips of it and stuff and seeing the lines, some of the lines I took and I'm like, come on. Like I, I knew I shouldn't have taken those lines. There's so many things I could have done better. Um, and I think, you know, I think one of my favorite races would have to be, um, probably the team time trial in, in California, the, the Merck style TT when we won, we beat bulls. Uh, that was pretty huge for us. And I think that was one of the most special wins that I've ever been a part of. Um, but you know, there's still, there's still always something to nitpick and, and figure out what could have been better, what could have gone better in every ride and every loss, everything that I've ever done. And how are you using all of that? Um, you know, like that kind of, I guess, pursuit of perfection to chase. What's the next thing for you now? I know the Olympics were obviously postponed. What are you excited about? Is that is that the big thing that you're excited about right now? Or is it, you know, is there something like women's Roubaix or what are these, you know, events that you're, that you're now chasing? Yeah, you know, it's my goals are my goals. I've, I have those goals set and, you know, being so injured all the time, I really need to be careful and be smart about what I – decide I want to do, you know, I can't, I can't pick it. I can't, you know, decide and choose. I want to do all this. I want to do all this. You know, I, I need to stand firm and, and stay confident with the goals that I have. And, you know, obviously doing Perry Roubaix would sounds totally fun. I would love to do it. But again, if that's not what Kristen thinks is best for me, then I'm not going to do it. You know, I'm, I'm going to do everything that's going to be perfect for me to make sure that I'm, you know, accomplish the goals that I'm supposed to accomplish. And coming from such a historically long list of successful women cyclists from the United States, and that list is very, very long. How would you like to be remembered once you hang up your bike for the last time? I mean, that's a, that's a, it is a good question. It's definitely something that, you know, I feel like the answer is going to be pretty cocky for everybody to hear, but you know, I, I want, I want to be the best. I want to be better than Eddie Merckx. I want to, I want to have my name higher on the list than him. I want to be better than anything and everything. And I think that's just, that's what I want. I love it. What a, that was the best answer I've heard in a long time. There's certainly no mincing of words there. Um, and I also don't doubt that you're well on your, well, you're already well on your way to that, but I also, I, I, I wouldn't like to be standing between you and, uh, and anything (laughs) right now. Now here, Nicholas sent me a video the other day and it was you talking about eating shrimp for breakfast before a team's time trial. Like, so we've just heard, we've just heard you talk about how you're, you know, like determined to completely crush the world and, and, and like, and, and dominate this sport yet (laughs) shrimp for breakfast. What was the thinking? 
Well, that's, you know, the other thing, I, I don't think people understand, like, yeah, you know, I, I can do the things that I do, but like, and also uh, over time, it's gotten better, I will say, but you know, <laughs> I'm definitely like, I can switch it off. Like if I'm not riding my bike, like you would have probably no idea I'm a cyclist. I don't, I don't care. Like it's just switched off. I'm not a good eater. I mean, I've gotten better, but you know, like I'll have a hundred chicken nuggets right now. Like I, it's great. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm an eater. Um, I love food. Like I even had a friend comment the other day that when I played basketball, I'd have a large chili from Wendy's before every basketball game and I'd be totally fine. But yeah, you know, it was, uh, we were in Doha. We were staying at this like super amazing hotel. I was roommates with Kristen. Um, it was just, I mean, it was, it was after the Olympics for Kristen and I both, we were both just kind of like, uh, you know, it was, it was what made it so nice and fun was the hotel and waking up and going down to this huge buffet and having like honeycomb and that dripping into a little cup and like fresh squeezed juices and all this yummy stuff. I mean, I can't like not have it. And so, yeah, they had buttered shrimp and I love shrimp. And so I just, <laughs> had a lot maybe a little too much and what actually made that funny is because I was throwing up and we ended up getting fifth but it was really hot that day and everybody was having heat strokes and everybody's commenting like oh the riders are really struggling here I'm like no actually that was my breakfast (laughs) (laughs) I love that well thank you so much for your time Chloe and Nicola uh it's been a real pleasure and um yeah, it's been nice to, you know, to, to get to chat and to hear a little bit about what you're both doing and where you're both headed. Um, so I really appreciate the time. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Dude, the shrimp story. That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> Bobby, that was a very interesting conversation for me. Mainly two points. One, I found really interesting about uh, – what I found really interesting about Chloe was how, you know – assertive and like sure and and determined she is to be the absolute best in this sport but then to her point how she can just switch straight off and detach from the whole thing i'm intrigued to hear what your thoughts you know you're definitely have you know you're someone who has won olympic medals you've you've been at you know at the highest level of the sport is that type of character common is that you know is that that sort of relaxed attitude a normal thing in a champion well, let's just say Chloe is obviously a very special specimen. Um, she seems extremely driven. That came out very, very loud and clear. You know, yeah, we've watched her on TV, uh, but this was the first time I really got to to interview her face, well, Zoom to Zoom. And that's just a champion, right? Somebody that thinks, like, I am going to do what I want to do. I want to be the best. If someone says I can't do it, I'm going to prove them wrong. Because I don't know if you've been watching the ESPN documentary series on on Michael Jordan. Or, you know, and there's a documentary series coming out with, with Lance Armstrong as well. But the similarities there with those two personalities is these guys were so good at what they did and Chloe is so good at what she does that these people don't find motivation in the same way as just a normal person may like hey i want to i want to get third or i want to be a little bit better no they want to win and they use that external contact with people that may be 
spouting off or disrespecting or just commenting honestly in an interview. And they'll use that as motivation because they need that. Mm-hmm. That That's what I find very interesting with these real top level people is that they they have to find something to drive them because they, they're already so good. But what is it? And I, I really like what Nicola has done there and given Chloe such a, a comfortable zone to grow and to be who she is and to understand her her little tics. Like she mentioned to us, she could sit there and, and eat 100 Chicken McNuggets. You got to let these superstars be who they are. And Chloe, I mean, I was a fan of hers before, but even more so now. And, but I can't imagine what Nicola and her coaches have to deal with. But the one thing that you don't have to worry about is her work ethic and the way that she motivates herself. That one question about hearing, you know, what voice do you mm. hear? Is it yours or is it somewhere else's? And she said that it was hers. That, that to me is super important because you have to, you're ultimately the one that's in control of your performance. And not to say that those little mantras that your coach, that a teammate, that a spouse could say to you prior to the race isn't, isn't going to help, but you're the one that's, that's riding that bike. You're the one that has to make those decisions. So yeah, fantastic, fantastic interview in these very uncertain times. And it was just great to hear her laugh Mm. and to realize that you know cycling is not the only thing in the world you know she's going to be who she is like it or not right and uh and as you said there that that team 2020 setup that nicola has created over what is it 16 years now um or 15 years is uh is remarkable and it's really cool to see i can imagine she has constantly uh, chloe constantly has people knocking on her door to sign her to bigger teams to make that jump to Europe, but she's doing it her way and she's sticking to, uh, you know, sticking to what she knows and what she likes. And, uh, it's awesome to see. So I think, uh, you know, come 2021, there's going to be a few gold medals hanging around her neck at the Olympic games. And that's it. That's all we have time for this week. Hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you again to team 2020's Nicola Cranmer and Chloe Digart. You can also get the show, as well as a ton of other fantastic cycling journalism over at velonews.com. You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Spotify, whatever your favorite go-to podcast may be. Just search for Put Your Socks On or Fizzo, P-Y-S-O. Please continue to show your support by subscribing to this program, and please spread the word about Fizzo by telling your friends. Big shout out to Eddie Rogers who produces and cuts this show together along with you, Bobby J. Thank you so much. You can get in touch with us on social media, Fizzopod on Twitter. That's P-Y-S-O-P-O-D. Or at that is Gus for myself or at Bobby.Julik for Bobby on Instagram. Um, Get in touch with us there. You know, say hello. Give us some suggestions. Give us some feedback. Uh, That's it. Until next week, thank you all for listening. Stay safe, everyone. And don't forget to put your socks on.